I find it so sweet to have this sitting at this point in the day where it goes from a pretty loud time out there in the courtyard and the transition with the kids and then the parents having a chance to kind of talk together and it's it's a lot of energy and then it just little by little you know it kind of comes down and I especially love when it gets really quiet and in the distance I can hear the children playing and I don't know about you but as a parent when I was here with my son I just felt such a sense of safety and relief to know that I knew where he was I knew where who he was with I knew they were good people. I knew he was very well taken care of. And that gave me as a parent an extra release. You know, it's um, we don't always get to feel that way. We don't always know who they're with. We don't always trust who they're with. And um, so I just want to acknowledge the preciousness of these little few minutes we had here to just rest. And even now, just, just, just think about where your child is right now, you know, and just picture them happy, content, well cared for. You can let go. You know those parent antenna that are always out there? You know, you can pull them in just a little bit. Maybe not all the way, that's asking a lot, but let them, let them come in a little bit. You know. And just take this opportunity to, to just be with you. Be with you. There was life before these children. (laughs) There was a you before these children. And there'll be a you after them. So um, many of you know me very well and have heard me sing and do my Dharma talk for many years. Some of you don't. And um, a lot of you know that I came here first when my son was about six. And I think I might have mentioned we had a pretty rough year. And um, he doesn't. He hasn't come here a lot. He's not a kid who really took to it. He came under some duress. I think having a mom who was in leadership and not available to him enough was hard. He didn't have another parent here to back me up, so it was hard on both of us. But he he did his time. You know, <laughs> he put in his cushion time. <laughs> and now he's leaving for college. And. So I thought this would be a good time to reflect just a little bit back, looking back for me over these 12, 10, 12 years of um, time with him, not, not at any great length, but just to kind of do a little couple of songs to kind of cover some of that ground. But I first want to just do the song I always start with because it really sets the truth, a big truth, a big truth umbrella over our parenting experience. And it's the wonderful song by the A Sweet Honey in the Rock with the words of Khalil Gilbran on children. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and the daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but they are not from you. And though they are with you, they belong not to you. You can give them your love, but not your thoughts. They have their own thoughts. They have their own thoughts. You can house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in a place of tomorrow. 
which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You can strive to be like them, but you cannot make them just like you. Strive to be like them, but you cannot make them just like you. Oh, our children are not our children. They are the sons and the daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through us, but they are not from us. And though they are with us, they belong not to us. We can give them our love, but not our thoughts, because they have their own thoughts. They have their own thoughts. We can house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in a place of tomorrow, which we cannot visit, not even in our dreams. We can strive to be like them, but we cannot make them just like us. Strive to be like them, but we cannot make them just like us. It's sort of one of those good news, bad news songs, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, like I'm sure all of you, I had I had such intentions about being a parent. I was going to get it right, you know. I was going to do all the good things my parents did, none of the bad things they did. I was going to read all the right books, which I did, and I was going to take it all to heart, and I was just going to get it right. I was going to be the first mother in the world <laughs> to get it completely right. And I know it's laughable, but really some part of me unconsciously felt that, you know. And I know you can all feel inside this the pressure that that must have felt like for me. And some of you probably, not all of you, some of you I think were probably wiser than I was, but it was a lot of pressure on me and on my son. And God definitely has a sense of humor, which I will actually devote an entire song to in a little bit. But um, I received a child who just didn't fit the mold. This child was not going to make it easy for me to be this perfect mother. You know, it's almost like he knew coming in what my agenda was and said, ha, I'm going to play with you. So um, I, was, I, got the, I got the child who was the five-month colic. They all said it'll be over in three months. It was five months of colic. I got the child who was the preschool hitter, you know, the designated hitter for the preschool. <laughs> And at one point, I really thought that he was going um, to get kicked out. And I thought, wait, this doesn't happen to mothers like me. I am not the mother of the child who gets kicked, gets kicked out of preschool. And, and you should know that I was raised in a minister's family. So I kind of come by this honestly, you know, that we were to be the pillars of the community. We always had to look good. We couldn't show any dirty laundry. You know, we had to be the ones that everybody looked up to. So it was, it was bread in the bone, you know. So, um, fortunately, I discovered a book that many of you probably have read called, um, I think it's called Raising Your Spirited Child by Mary Sheedy Krachinka. And it was such a wise and wonderful book. And it renamed 
this the, the whole syndrome that that they've got a lot of labels for kids now that they didn't have when I was a kid like ADD ADHD resilient that's a nice one um, uh, a, a, oh there's a overly oh I can't remember the other one there was an, a bunch of ones and diagnoses like um, sensory integration issues which it turned out I think that's what my son had so lots of labels and some of them are helpful but they also can be a box that we put kids in and you know we we all know from the dharma that constructed identity is bound to cause suffering you know that anything that we believe in that's well everything that is is a constructed reality right and and if we believe in it and expect it to do what it's supposed to do it's going to we're really going to suffer and this is so true with children. If we have a highly constructed view of what they, what we want them to be, and what the right kind of child for us should be, and and frankly, what child reflects well on us? Let's let's be honest. There's some ego here, you know. Um, we're going to suffer. So out of my suffering, I I, um, I wrote this song called "Spirited Child," and what what this book and my own experience in talking to temperament counselors and so forth helped me to realize is that children really do come in with some hard wiring and and you know this yourselves i mean you know i mean many of you have two children and they couldn't be more different right look at jason and nicole you know how incredibly different those two children are look at oh there's another example i was thinking of it'll come to me i can't remember but anyway anybody who has two children they are not the same now they came from the same parents but they're not the same. Sophie and Simon, yeah, exactly. So um, they come in with some preset, pre settings, and what tends to make a happy child and a happy parent is when we kind of learn how to work with who they are and let go of trying to make them something that seems normal, you know, or that some teacher or some something, some image we have of what normal is. That's very painful. So that's what this song is about. I haven't sung it in a while. We'll see if I can remember the words. I'm having this um, senior moment today. Molly's too busy to speak when she's spoken to. Sometimes you think that she's deaf. And try to get her to move. You gotta fight on your hands. She's little but stubborn and tough. Sometimes she gets moving just a little too fast. She bumps and she bruises herself. And some days her wires just get humming until she can't possibly choose to sit still. And we can call her a problem, call it disease, prescribe medication. It's so hard to see that maybe there's nothing so wrong. Who sets the clock and says what time we're on? Cause every heart beats to a rhythm that's secret and wild. Oh, we just have to move a bit slower. With the spirit of child. Now Marcos is picky. He spits out his food. 
His socks must have seams just like razors. So he has to go barefoot, wear his shirts inside out. You can't forget about bow ties and blazers. Some kids like to listen to their folks rock and roll. Marcos just covers his ears. Oh, the jangle and the bustle of life as we know it can drive kids like Marcos to tears. And we can say he's too sensitive. What's all the fuss? It's best not to spoil him. He's got to adjust. But maybe there's nothing so wrong. Who sets the clock and says what time we're on? Every heart beats to a rhythm that's secret and wild. Oh, we just have to listen more closely to the spirited child. Micah gets so excited. He can't wait a minute. He's got to be first every time. To share during circle time. First to get popsicles. First batter up. First in line. And maybe he pushes just a little too hard. He'll strike out if he don't get his way. The others have learned about please, yes, and thank you. But no, it's still mostly what Michael will say. And we can call him a bully, aggressive and mean. And these labels stick to him till it's all we can see. But maybe there's nothing so wrong. Who sets the clock and says what time we're on? Cause every heart beats to a rhythm that's secret and wild. Oh, we just have to move a bit closer to the spirited child. And maybe can remember way back who set the clock and tried to keep you on track and did your heart beat to the rhythm so secret and wild well you can feel it again when you dance with the spirited child It's the gift that we get just from loving that spirited child. 
we forgot to bring the Kleenex boxes in. We usually <laughs> try to remember to do that. Anyway. <sighs> so I wrote that when he was about four, five, six, something like that. You know, I was on a real learning curve with him. And, um, you know, as a teenager... Oh, thank you. Uh, maybe, Ajahn, if you wouldn't mind, maybe you could put it out there. Thank you so much. You know, and it really doesn't change. I mean, I think that some of the things that we did in response to understanding more about his nature made a huge, huge difference in his life. And let me just say at this moment, what a huge, huge difference you're making in your lives for your children. By Stop crying. I can't do this if you cry. <laughs> like Rebecca said, I'm a really easy cry. Um, just by bringing them here and giving them these five days, what a gift. You know, they're never going to forget it. Even if they complain, even if they whine, whatever, they'll never forget it. And, um, you know, when I look at my son now, you know, he is a real mix. He's a boy of his culture. He is a hip young man. He's done all the, the nasty things that I thought my boy wouldn't do. Not all of them, a lot of them. Um, he hasn't been in jail yet, so, you know, <laughs> chalk that one up. But it's come, come close, come close. I'm serious. Um, there's a lot to look forward to for those of you with younger ones. <laughs> Surprises you never dreamed of. And those famous words, not my child, you get to eat them over and over. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, um, before I go on to the teen years, because I am going to dwell on those for a moment, I'm going to do another tearjerker for you. <laughs> Just get them all out of the way right at the start. Um, there's a wonderful organization of support for parents, and um, it's called Hand in Hand. And I have some materials about them. I, unfortunately, none that you can take home, but um, things you can look at and get their website. And they offer incredibly wonderful support services for parents and support resources around how to be with your child in a very special way. Um, and not a way that the general culture is going to tell you, and not a way that a lot of the temperament books or whatever maybe are going to tell you. Very skillful stuff, very wise. So um, they had a fundraising uh, event, and they asked me to sing at it, and I wrote this song for them called Hand in Hand. And it embodies some of what they teach, which is, uh, in, in essence, that and the and spirited child says the same thing, that it's more rewarding and useful when we can to follow our child's lead when we can, when it's appropriate, when it's the right time, to follow their lead and let them lead us into the magic of life. Because, you know, our adult world is unfortunately a little devoid of magic. You know, we've kind of gotten into the bustle. Oh, and by the way, here's the verse I forgot. This will say everything I was just going to say. Okay. Now it seems I'm, now time has speeded up. I'm drinking from that coffee cup. I drive and eat and work too much. I'm grown up, but I don't feel free. They're talking about a new depression, climate change, insurrection. I think we need a new direction. Something about what Mama said to me. Let's just sit and smell the flowers. 
save our world, save our souls if we slip out of the stranglehold. Take a little time to breathe and smell the flowers. So that's sort of what I was going to get to there was that um, we're in a stranglehold, you know, of the work and the the um, polit- political realm and the, the service that we do and just the pace. I mean, I don't know what it is, but doesn't it seem like time has speeded up literally? I think a lot of it has to do, frankly, with the Internet and the email and the instant, instant access to everything. I get about 70 emails a day, you know, and not all of them do I have to read. But, that, you know, it's just overload. So we are like, seem to be out of time. And thankfully, we have a practice We know how to take some time. We know how to slow down. It's not always easy to remember to do that. That's the hard part. They say mindfulness is easy. It's remembering it that's hard. (laughs) So um, our children are natural leaders in this territory. The the Devon smelling the flower and the butterfly. He's, He's leading his dad, trying to lead his dad somewhere. And his dad would love to go there, but he's thinking about the teacher and the school bell. And sometimes you have to do that. But um, here's a little song about hand in hand. We step out the door, you tugging at my sleeve. There's a world out there to see and no time to waste. You run ahead, you skip, you dance around, find a treasure on the ground. You show me what I used to see You bring the world alive for me Hand in hand Cause when we're walking hand in hand I remember who I really am I am stronger than I knew I got that way from loving you This world is beautiful and strange, terrible and grand, and we walk into its mysteries hand in hand, hand in hand. I remember being small, my mom and I at the old piano. She placed my fingers on the keys Together we'd make melodies That's where I learned that I could believe In the simple heartfelt harmonies Of hand in hand Cause when we're walking hand in hand I remember who I really am I am stronger than I knew I got that way from loving you This world is beautiful and strange Terrible and grand And we walk into its mysteries Hand in hand When your night is full of shadows And your day is sad and gray I'll hold you close Help you cry it all away And when my life feels like a wasteland And I 
drag my way back home Who's that running out to meet me With your arms stretched out to greet me Saying, hey, hey, it's time to play So we stay on the porch Watch the sun sink in the bay Talk about her journey Coming round the other way You find the first star in the sky We sing the twinkle lullaby There's no place I would rather be And nothing matters more to me Than hand in hand Cause when we're walking hand in hand I remember who I really am I am stronger than I knew I got that way from loving you This world is beautiful and strange Terrible and grand And we'll play the simple harmonies Watch the sun sink in the sea Walk into the mystery Hand in hand <sighs> Okay <laughs> I, I um, encouraged Ajahn Pasano during his Dharma talk or whenever he feels like it to tell you some stories about his family because he had a very special growing up experience that I, I would like you all to hear about really simple but really special so, so again God's, God's little joke um, God, I, I feel like God, and I, I use the word God in my own way, and, and forgive me if it, if it doesn't work for you, whatever, whatever it is, call it Dharma, call it the great truth. Um, but whatever it is, that great truth that, that flows through our lives and pushes us toward realization and awareness. So God's little joke to me is to um, give us all these experiences through our children and through other things as well that wake us up to our delusions. You know, and to the ways that we're trying to construct a perfect world so we won't feel uncomfortable. You know, and of course, I want a perfect child so that I'm going to feel good. I don't, you know, do I care that it's fun for him to be perfect? Not really. You know, <laughs> it just makes me feel better. You know. <laughs> so here's my latest hit on all this. This is especially for the teenage world. <clears throat> called God's Little Joke. It's God's little joke on feminist moms. You can substitute spiritual moms, but it came to me as feminist. It's God's little joke on feminist moms, giving us daughters who wear skimpy thongs. (laughs) What they're doing on Facebook, you don't want to see. And the boys that they date wear their pants around their knees. God must be laughing, I'll try to laugh too. 
Since I prayed to have children, it's the least I can do. Watch out what you pray for, your prayers may come true. It's God's little joke on feminist moms, giving us sons who love warcraft and bombs, with despicable lyrics to their favorite songs. And when they start dating, the girls all wear thongs. God must be laughing, I'll try to laugh too. Since I prayed to have children, it's the least I can do. Watch out what you pray for, your prayers may come true. God must be laughing or crying or both, like I do when I'm at the end of my rope. So mothers take heart, take a breath and take hope. This is all temporary, that's God's little joke. And they'll be gone in a heartbeat. That's God's little joke. So, I want to take time to just read you a poem. I don't think I've read this one here before. This is by Billy Collins. He's one of my favorite poets. And you may know this one. It's called The Lanyard. And it's just a really wonderful tribute to um, to mothers in particular and dads. You know what? I, I, in my next life, I'm going to be a man I, I, <laughs> because I got a lot of songs I got to write for dads. But you know, not being one, it's just a little. It's a big stretch for me. You know? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> the lanyard. The other day, I was ricocheting slowly off the pale blue walls of this room, bouncing from typewriter to piano from bookshelf to an envelope lying on the floor, I found myself in the L section of the dictionary, where my eyes fell upon the word lanyard. No cookie nibbled by a French novelist could send one more suddenly into the past. A past where I sat at a workbench at a camp up by a deep Adirondack lake, learning how to braid thin plastic strips into a lanyard a gift for my mother. I had never seen anyone use a lanyard or wear one, if that's what they did with them. But that did not keep me from crossing strand over strand again and again until I had made a boxy red and white lanyard for my mother. She gave me life and milk from her breasts, and I gave her a lanyard. <laughs> she nursed me in many a sick room, lifted teaspoons of medicine to my lips, set cold face cloths on my forehead, and then led me out into the airy light and taught me to walk and swim. And I, in turn, presented her with a lanyard. <laughs> Here are a thousand meals, she said. And here is clothing and a good education. And here is your lanyard, I replied. <laughs> which I made with a little help from a counselor. Here is a breathing body and a beating heart, strong legs, bones, and teeth, two clear eyes to read the world, she whispered. 
And here, I said, is the lanyard I made at camp. And here, I wish to say to her now, is a smaller gift. Not the archaic truth that you can never repay your mother, but the rueful admission that when she took the two-tone lanyard from my hands, I was as sure as a boy could be that this useless, worthless thing I wove out of boredom would be enough to make us even. So now that my son is almost gone, of course, I get to look at my own life. And I want to tell you some of the painful and joyful parts of that. Um, The painful part is that I realize now more fully how, how much I poured myself into his life for all the beautiful ways that Billy Collins describes, all the beautiful reasons and all the beautiful things I did, and I don't discount them, but there was an extra layer of ego, of self going on there that was both justifying my own existence, making me worthy of being here, and we all do that, don't we? We pour ourselves into our work or a a skill or a, an accomplishment. You know, many of us feel like we have to earn our right to be here every day, you know. So I did, so I did it with Matt. Before Matt, I did it with my career. And it was just one, one thing after another, trying to plug that place, that empty place that was like, am I okay? Do I have a right to be here? Am I good enough? And, um, and so there was that going on. And there was also, boy, this is so deep for me, I can't even remember what I was going to say. It was also because I now know, and this is through practice that I know this, that there were many unhealed places in my own life, in my own childhood, that I was trying to heal through him, through giving him what I thought I had needed as a child. Not necessarily what I needed, but what I thought I needed. And here's an example would be, let's just, let's just to make it concrete, any time he was distressed, I gave him 150% attention, um, space, time. I mean, we didn't, I didn't drag him off to school. We spent a lot of time not going to school, you know, because he was freaking out. Some of that was really wise. Some of that was just, I mean, I don't know how to describe this in Dharma terms exactly. Maybe Ajahn Pasano will pick up on this tomorrow. But something um, longing and aching in me that was unhealed from my childhood and I, there, was, there was no way I could do enough now because we can't. We can't make up for that. But it felt like if I just do a little more for him, if I just do a little more for him, somehow it'll be all right. And so that made me overparent and overdo. And I think that's something that we can perhaps put a little bit of awareness around is even it's a, somehow in our practice separate out this is what it was like for me and feel those feelings, and they're hard to feel. I've been doing a really deep practice around just feeling how much pain there is in me from my life, from my life. And it's, you know, it's big. It's big because, you know, how most of us probably didn't have parents who were completely wise all the time, you know, and knew what we needed all the time. So 
I see now that my work is to now visit my own inner child. I, I sort of hate that expression, but I'll, I, just, I just used it. I won't use it again. <laughs> but to really revisit places that are very, very painful, not because I was abused, I was not, but you don't have to be abused to have had a lot of suffering because the Buddha teaches us that just to be here is to walk into a world of, of things not being quite right, not fitting, not being what we want when we want them. So we have all suffered, every one of you. If any of you had perfect parents, you still suffered, believe me. So, so that is the place to visit. And to, the more we can visit that place and touch into it gently... And, and let whatever arises, arise with mindful, loving attention. And just little by little by little, let that, let that childhood place and teenage place and young adult place have some room to be touched by the, the loving touch of compassion. It will help our parenting so much. It will help our parenting so much. We'll have more ease, I believe. <laughs> I can't go back and do it again, so I, I'm speaking on faith here. <laughs> more ease, more appropriate response, and probably more ability to, to set boundaries and say, enough, now, now we have to shift, or whatever, whatever, you know. So that's, that's kind of the um, difficult but very blessed experience I'm having now that Matt's about to leave. The joyful part, of course, is that I have a ton of stuff to look forward to. I mean, I have got, like, space I had to look forward to. I've got time to look forward to. And I've got the opportunity to, and any of you whose children are kind of, the, all of your children are a little younger, you wouldn't be here at the family retreat, but you're heading right up to that point where you got that what next experience. What next? And that, I'm very, very excited about that. And um, I'll, I'll sing you my latest kind of song about... Um, about Matt leaving. It's called I'll Be Alright. Because I started crying about him leaving for college when he was a freshman in high school. I could feel it coming. I could totally feel it coming. Yeah. So, okay. So in three weeks, okay, we're going to pack up the car. We're going to drive two miles from our house. <laughs> He's staying in Berkeley <laughs> to uh, UC Berkeley. And my job is to pretend that he's a few hundred miles away and not drive by his dorm once a day with binoculars to kind of check out what's going on. <laughs> you know? It's going to be hard. I know where his favorite coffee shops are, so I can't go there, you know. So here we go. I know I'll be all right. I'll walk right past your bedroom door and not look twice. I know there won't be crumpled homework, soda cans, and a moldy pizza slice. That floor will be as bare as the day we fill the car up with the things you thought you might be needing there. And I know I'll still be listening for your key in the front door too late at night but I'll be all right I know I'll be okay I've got lots of plans and projects stored away first those closets then the basement or maybe I'll pull out that violin I used to play and there's a yoga class today 
And I'll finally take that trip back east to see my best friend from my college days. And I know I'll turn your music on sometimes to hear the words and beats you taught me not to hate. And I'll be okay. I know you'll be just fine. You've been chomping at the bit now for a long, long time. And they promised they'd watch out for all the freshmen. Gotta trust that they'll watch mine. And I know there'll be those times when the only voice you want to hear is mine. We've never been much for the phone. But there's comfort in the silence when you know who's on the line. You'll be just fine. And I know you'll come back home with a sack of dirty clothes and your hair all grown. And you'll tell some tales of your adventures cleaned up for those old folks you call dad and mom. And you'll hang out with your friends. And I'll act like I don't need more than a love you, Mom. What's shaking? And you're out the door again. I've always had my own life. It's not that that makes me ache to have you gone. But you'll come back home. I've got friends with grown-up sons. They swear that boys come back again and always love their moms. I take comfort in that knowledge and in knowing that I'm not the only one. And I'm tasting my own life, something sharp and unfamiliar. Not the taste of mom or wife. And just like him, I'm launching into brand new worlds and I'm scared and so alive. And we'll be just The other gift, the great gift for me and for all of us as we move along into our child's adulthood is that it opens us back up to the world, to the world that that is crying to us. And many of you I know are socially engaged in many ways as your children are growing up. I certainly have been. But the family, you know, has to come first a lot of the time. That's appropriate. But when I ask myself now, who's the important, most important person? I don't think of Matt quite in the same way. Um, and I think it's been said, as I think Gil said, it's not healthy for our children to be treated like the most important person. You know, like we all get our turn, but not all the time. And you know, the Native American tradition is, has a great deal of wisdom about this because when they, as a community, make a decision and think about something that they're going to, to do, some plan that they're going to make as a community, they, they think about the good of the whole, of course. But more than that, they think about seven generations 
after them, which is a really long time. That's several hundred years. And they think, how will this choice we're making now affect the seventh generation after us? So for, in that tradition, that's the most important person, is the seventh generation, which is a really big perspective. It's a really wide view. But I want to, in myself, cultivate that wideness of view when I'm thinking about decisions for me, for my family, my work, my neighborhood, whatever, is to try to every now and then just really go big and think about the seventh generation and see how that helps me orient in this very crazy world. And, um, you know, in the Bible it says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. You know, and Bob Dylan said the slow one now will later be fast and the present now will later be past and the first one now will later be last. And when we're thinking right now and, and when we have a little more freedom when our children are, are launched, what's the best use of my time? Where shall I put my attention? Who and what is important now? To me... I want to be thinking about those who are being impacted the most strongly by the diseases of our culture right now and by climate change. And I, I think very seriously about that because there are people, of course, living on the ocean, you know, on the borders of the ocean, and their lives are being affected very immediately and, and very precipitously by global warming. And um, there's one small country, somebody else will have to remember for me the name of it, who is an island, Moldava? Hmm? That might be it. But I think there's another one, too. Starts with an M. Okay, never mind. Anyway, I know they, they, came, they, brought, they came to the um, climate change conference, the last one, as a delegation. And no, no, it's a very small island. But they're, they're going to go under, basically. They're going to they're gonna be swamped. And they came as a, as a nation almost to say, you know, you have to think about us, you know. So in our own communities, there are obviously people who are being heavily impacted by, the, you know, the, the climate, by pollution, by violence, whatever. But I think just this question of who's the most important person is a really, really valuable guideline. Because it's, it's those who are getting hit first who are the canaries in the mine. They're living what we all will be living if we keep going the way we're going. And unfortunately, there's something about comfort, and I think all of us probably have a fair degree of comfort in our lives. There's something about comfort that's very trance-like, very seductive. I, I know it is for me. And even though I know about the suffering that's going on, and I know that what's happening to them is coming for me and my family. There's some denial we can live in, you know, that of like, well, this doesn't seem real. It's hard to wrap our minds around that. And this is, I think, a very helpful place to practice. You know how the Buddha offered us the meditations of I am of a nature to grow old. I am of a nature to be ill. I am of a nature to lose everything that I love. I am of a nature to die. That is who we are. To be born is to live with those realities. And if we can broaden that a little and maybe find some new words for that, I am of a nature to be affected by violence. I am of a nature to be affected by radical climate change. My life is not going to go on the way it is. Whatever, whatever the words are. And just see what goes on with, with that kind of meditation. I think that might be helpful to all of us to develop 
a little bit of a broader stance in the world and a little more preparedness in our hearts for the world that we're walking into and that our children are walking into. When I sang that line, they live in a world of tomorrow which we cannot visit even in our dreams. You know, that one kind of choked me up because there's great possibilities right now. Great emerging hopeful global movements of green transformation, of global community, of interdependence, of extraordinary opportunities. And there's extraordinary danger. We know that. So the more we, if we can prepare ourselves to walk into that world with a great wide view, it'll help us, it'll help our children. So I feel like this is kind of the next stage of parenting for me, is to open to the world for the sake of myself, for the sake of the world, for the sake of my child. So with that, I will just close with the words of Mary Oliver. You all know this poem. I won't read the whole thing. It's about the summer day, watching the cricket eating sugar out of her hand. And she just says, when she talks about going to idle in the grass, she says, I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do not know. I do know how to pay attention how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild, and precious life. I'm sorry I didn't leave time for question and answer, but we can talk anytime, anytime.